Jake, I have a question for you. Great. A semi-rhetorical question, because I'm pretty sure you'd figure out the answer. Mm. What do Philip Glass, Allen Ginsberg, and David Byrne have in common? They're all gentlemen. That's true. <laughs> um, I don't know if Allen Ginsberg's Nailed it. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're all male, we think. They're all male. There you go. They all worked with little-known but well-loved musician Arthur Russell. Oh, I did not know that. Arthur Russell was a professional musician almost his entire adult life, but only managed to release one true solo album. He died in 1992 at the age of 40 from AIDS, mm. leaving behind over 1,000 tapes of unreleased music. Oh, my goodness. Today on Louder Than Sound, we take a look at Arthur Russell's one album and most impressive artistic statement, 1986's World of Echo. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's loud! Hello and welcome to Louder Than Sound, the podcast where two brothers have nearly, and I only say nearly because literally anything could happen between now and January, January 1st, we're recording this before then, uh, but we survived this intense, utterly baffling, dangerous, and at times discouraging year by listening to music and discussing it with each other. And to that end, our theme for this episode is Albums That Hit Us Hard in 2020, in which Charlie has chosen Arthur Russell's World of Echo, which, as you'll note, is not actually from the year 2020, but happened to catch him just right this year. My album from last week was Cahil Elzabar's America the Beautiful, so head back one episode if you want to hear about that, but only after you listen to this one. That album is from 2020, and so before I hand over the reins to you to discuss Arthur Russell, I couldn't stop myself from just briefly mentioning some of the other new music that I enjoyed greatly from this past year. So these are all albums that I'm about to list that I almost, and some might say should have chosen, to talk about on the podcast. But there, <laughs> there could really only be two. So these are, these are some others that are from 2020. Um, I loved Gillian Welch's year. She and her musical and life partner David Rawlings released no less than four albums. One of what? which was a cover. <laughs> well, they're all uh, there. So there was a covers record, and there were three compilations, full compilations of unreleased past material. Okay. Um, so Gillian is fast becoming a legend in my household, and so I loved her year. I thought H. C. McIntyre's Eno Axis. I always thought it was Gillian. It's Gillian. Isn't I heard. Isn't, heard, isn't, heard, it, isn't it Gillian? It's. I, I, I've, like that? I've said it Gillian before, but I heard it on a, a New York Times podcast that it's Gillian. Okay. So you gotta okay. trust. You gotta no, trust those. No, guys, I, no, I believe you. I'm just, yeah, I know. I know. I've said it. I've said. I'm just. I'm shocked, Jake. Trying to catch your breath. I'm trying. Uh, I thought H. C. McIntyre's Eno Axis was rock solid and a super great hang as an album. She was or is part of the band Mount Mariah, whose album How to Dance I bought once because it sounded great to me in the shower one time. Sure. But then sure. I discovered that I didn't like it at all. And I don't, I still don't know what happened. <laughs> like, what about that shower made that music so good? Have you uh, tried listening to the shower again? Uh, <laughs> I have not. 
Well, there you go. Oh my gosh, you're a cheat. But I'm not in that same house that I was where it happened. Is that going to be a problem? Well, I mean, shower, it, it's hard to say if it's the shower or the house or, you know, the house and the shower. Like, I mean, just try it out. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I don't know. But anyway, uh, I could have been drinking. That's That could have been part of it. I mean, try that too. Um, but I have since given McIntyre's solo effort a shot because Apple Music exists and you can just do that. And I liked what I've heard outside of the shower and definitely on more than one listen. So I'll be picking that up. Um, next up is Sam Burton, whose debut album, I Can Go With You, has cast a sort of curious spell on me. It's pretty straightforward sounding, but is also drenched in reverb and ennui. It seems kind of mature and kind of haunting. I like that one. Uh, Adrian Lenker continues her ridiculous hot streak with songs and instrumentals, following two of my favorite albums from just last year with her band Big Thief. Um, she might be like the best singer-songwriter uh, on the planet right now. And two records by bands or artists that I'm fully getting into finally, um, but it has been way overdue in each case. Um, Fiji, Phoebe Bridgers' Punisher, um, with, its, yeah. with its song Garden Song. Have you heard that song? No, I keep hearing her name. Oh. I keep listen, listen to Garden to Song off the new album. It's, uh, it might be my favorite song of the whole year. Um, Waxahachie's and Waxahachie's Saint Cloud, which is um, great sounding and represents. Oh, yeah, you came, you came so close to doing that one that you told I me. Did. I did. I did. Yep, I was really close. Um, it's a big mature leap for singer songwriter Katie Crutchfield, um, and I've been so close to buying like three of their previous albums, and I'm finally taking the leap. So those were all in the running for me to inflict upon you from 2020, Chaz, instead of just uh, you know drunkenly. Uh, telling you like after Christmas like you gotta listen to this and then you never <laughs> don't do don't talk to you when you're drunk ever so no, I, I don't I'm know just, what this is talking about but I'm just joking but you never do um, anyway I had a bunch too but I think I'm gonna share I'm gonna save them for next episode okay you uh, share, spoiler whatever. alert we're, we're gonna keep this party going yeah let's party it up it's still the new year after this so it's still I, the new we'll, year we'll get more to that yeah 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 um, so uh, uh, you know you should tell us about the, the album that you're here to tell, tell us about I will I will do that exactly oh, okay. you so we, I talked a little bit of last episode about how it seems like you have listened to a lot of new music this year in particular. And I've really been getting into a lot of older stuff. I've listened to less new music in the last couple of years. And this was one that I really just got to be big. And Arthur, not just this album, but Arthur Russell in general. Mm. So um, I'll get into a little bit about, like, because I, I bought my first Arthur Russell album in late 2019. Oh, oh, and, just uh, outside of 2020. And I, as soon as my birthday money order comes which is supposed to come on tuesday i think i will own nine albums by him like that's how far in i've you gone own on nine albums in the last year i will bought I, nine I will albums. i will as of next week yes yeah i Dang, know i, know I didn't know it was you got it bad bro i got it bad man i don't care <laughs> i don't care who knows it well you're right. you're addicted it's a problem i know well luckily he does there's only so much like after this i'm pretty much done so you know okay hey but well, that you know there you go so Arthur Russell, I said in the uh, our little intro there that he's one of those just kind of underappreciated in his own time. And uh, I won't, I won't even say he's underappreciated. He released so little music, but he was recording so much the entire time. And when he died young, uh, and he just it just kind of got buried. And then it was about, you know, it's about 15 years ago now. Stuff started coming out, reissues and unreleased music came out, mostly from a record label by the name of Attica Records, mm. which is created specifically to release, release Russell's own music. Okay. Okay. And very much curated, and you know, there's so much stuff that he's got, and so it's been very curated and very specially released. And what's everything that's been come out has been pure gold. And so the two people behind that primarily are, first of all, Tom Lee, who was Russell's partner, 
and you know essentially a widower in spirit mm-hmm. and a gentleman by the name of steve knudsen who was he did a bunch of work with rough trade and he was in a couple of bands in the 80s of you know marginal um anyway they the two of them have done such a good job of putting this together and everything that comes out from Monica is just essential about arthur russell which is really great and since then he's kind of gotten a really strong cult following so uh artists and i got a list of artists who have covered him in mm. studio covers of him uh, including such luminaries as jeff tweedy jens lechman robin mm. hot chip <laughs> stevens i know it's it's, a, it's a, okay a yeah first blood there sure is Devan, devendra barnhart blood orange scissor sisters and cults uh several right. of these were part of a 2014 red hot uh, oh, release right. Red, the Red Hot organizations. That's why I've heard organizations. of them. Probably best known for Dark Was the Night. Yes. Which is an amazing Love compilation. That. Amazing. They did one called Red Hot and Arthur Russell, and it says all covers of Arthur Russell music. And so several of those Sweet. are on that compilation, but not all of them. Uh, Chris Taylor of Grizzly Bear helped put together uh, one of the compilations of unreleased Russell songs and did like editing and mixing and stuff. DFA has done an official remix. Mm. Kanye West sampled him. Mm. It's a really diverse blend of people here who are no doubt. like this guy. And we'll, and we'll get into that a little more in later. So Russell grew up in Iowa. He uh, <laughs> dropped out of high school and moved to California, joined a commune, hung out with Allen Ginsberg. Oh, who did As one does. And he actually shows up on some of, you know, Allen Ginsberg, he was trying to move into music in the late 60s. Oh, I know. And uh, so Arthur Russell shows up on some of his early recordings playing cello. So his main instrument was the cello, and he was a really excellent cello player, which we'll get into more later on. So in the early 70s, uh, Arthur Russell moved to New York, and that ended up being his home for the rest of his life, the last 20 years of his life. And uh, he worked pretty much professionally in music the whole time in various capacities. Um, and was very involved in the downtown music scene. I read a biography of Arthur Russell earlier in the year. Now, this is... I mean, I'll get into this really quick. I don't yeah. know how you handled the pandemic and everything, Jake, but one of my ways of doing this was by latching on to musicians and, like, for my own mental health of okay. getting really into this and really, like, diving into music. Music's been a big part oh, of dealing well, yeah. with a really crappy year. And so I really just, I mean, Arthur Russell was one of my, one of the few, like, there are three or four musicians that I just grabbed onto and really got into them. He was one back in, like, March, April, right at the beginning of things. And I read his biography and did all kinds of stuff. And so it, from his biography, you know, it really is, he's connected to the downtown New York music scene and where things were coming up with punk and post-punk and new wave and disco mm. and all that stuff. He was really plugged into a lot that was happening in New York. Um, and so Arthur Russell, with that in mind, he's interesting for several reasons. And one of them is he worked in such a wide variety of musical styles. And not in the way of like a you know, David Bowie, who I'm clearly a giant fan of, where but we'd work on something and then move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing and rarely looked back. Yeah. Arthur Russell seemed to be working in all of these at the same time mm. and they all overlap. And so he worked in, he did a lot. There's a lot of folk country type music, singer songwriter stuff. Mm-hmm. He was very involved in minimalist classical music um, and bringing in rock instruments to classical music. He collaborated with Philip Glass, which is in New York doing minimalism in the mid to late seventies. Mm. And, you know, makes sense that he came across him. He did some new wave and post-punk. He was in a, a marginally popular band called The Necessaries that uh, released a couple albums. Uh, he, according to one possibly apocryphal story, almost became the fifth member of the Talking Heads. <laughs> at one point, what? 
Well, and this is, and I forget which one, but one of the members of the band said that Arthur Russell nearly became the fifth member. Okay. And I believe it's David Byrne said, no, that never happened. Yeah, so sure, I don't know. Sure. I don't, I mean, but, but this wasn't like some hearsay, some oh, okay. fourth party story. It was a, a different member of the band said that he almost joined. Yeah. And David Byrne said he didn't. So I, I don't know. Well, and their relationship, their relationship is so poor. Who knows? It's true. It, it broke down. It broke it down sure a lot. Did. At any rate, we can, uh, we do know that Arthur Russell appears on two different Talking Heads songs, including an early acoustic version of uh, Psycho Killer. Oh. Playing cello in the background. It's Ooh, a really intense. I've never heard bit. that. Oh, yeah. It's it's worth a look. Okay. I think it's just called uh, Psycho Killer Acoustic Version. Okay. I think it's called. But there's some like intense cello in the background, and Ooh. that's Arthur Russell. Okay. And actually, David Burns plays guitar on one of uh, Arthur Russell's singles later on, too. So there's connections there. Uh, next up is, this is what he's probably best known for now, is he did a bunch of disco and electronic pop. What? music kind of this like left field disco like this weird i've been learning a little bit more about this do you remember that comp disco not disco that was kind of a big deal no probably 20 probably 20 years ago now no but it gathered some of these people who were connecting disco more with post-punk and new wave and the no wave scene like it got into this really weird yeah disco it's actually very interesting <laughs> Listen, like, i'm not Things got weird. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a disco fan by any no. stretch of the but, but disco... this got to be really interesting I mean, disco and has rehabilitated its image somehow over the last it has, 15 I know, years. I like that used to be a dirt, is, that used to be the dirtiest word, and now I don't. I don't oh, disco is no longer dead, baby. No, it's not. It's back. <laughs> it's back, baby. I'm a disco duck, baby. <laughs> we know you are, Jack. We know you are. Yeah. So I mentioned Arthur Russell only released one true solo album. That's not the only thing he released in his entire life. It is little, like it is very little output for how much he was doing all the time. Hmm. He has two different solo classical releases that came out on specialty labels and barely didn't, you know, I think both of them were print runs of less than 500 and they wow. didn't sell. Wow. He did release a little bit better known album, a kind of a disco, disco-ish album under the name of Dinosaur L. So it's not under his own name. It's called 2424 Music. Sure. Includes sure. some, and I forget what that was all about. The 2424 Music meant something with the different, like the music changes every 24 measures, I think it was. There's some, definitely some... Uh, some of that uh, minimalist compositional avant-garde under stuff underpinning this dance music, which is interesting. He was, I said, he was with a band called The Necessaries. They released one and a half albums. They're kind of a new wave band. He uh, supposedly quit the band on the way to one of their gigs. Mm, nice. Like they were stopped at a stoplight and he got out with his cello and left and said, and quit the band and was done. <laughs> well, that's about, that's what I'm going to do on this podcast just now. I'll just. Yeah, just, just right in the middle. It's I just won't just be here anymore. On the way to a gig. Come on, man. I'm out. <laughs> sounds like Arthur Reza could be a little bit of a jerk sometimes. It sounds like it. Sounds like it. Complicated yeah. game. Yeah, complicated everyone guy. can. And then he had multiple singles in loose groups that were either primarily him or him and somebody else or including uh names like dinosaur loose joints felix and indian ocean mm. released very little music under his own name mostly used pseudonyms and band names uh he was a total auteur and he had a very peculiar very intense vision and one of the notable things about him is you know, he was recording constantly constantly trying to find ways to pay for it Mm -hmm. um, he's borrowing money from his parents for different people like doing favors for friends showing up over here helping out with this so that he gets some more studio time with this wow he got a couple different record labels in there and you know then didn't release the albums oh no <laughs> oh no but Arthur. he did have those those few disco singles were pretty were reasonably successful so he got some money from that nice disco um but really what it comes down to i think with him 
being so unknown when he was alive is he never finished anything. Right. He never completed anything. Hmm. He, like I said, there were over 1,000 tapes left when he died of recorded music. 40 of them were uh, different versions of the exact same song, the exact same oh recording. My. 40 tapes? So stuff like that. 40, 40, 40 tapes? tapes. 40 tapes, yep. I caramba. He would tweak mixes and remix them, mix them slightly over and yeah, over and yeah, over yeah, and over yeah. and over again and change things around slightly just a little bit. Oh. He apparently was a major, he'd walk around, he'd, he had a Walkman and he would walk everywhere and listen to these new versions of like slightly different mixes. You know, oh. like, ape of 12 versions of the same song with slightly different mixes and listen to them while he's yep. walking and try to figure out which is the best one. And usually end up, you know, changing it or giving up or whatever. Right. Or not finished, just that. not getting it done. Just not finishing just it. Just never getting it done. Never being he able to decide. He has at least three, at least three unfinished albums. Uh, he had an album that he was working on in like 1982 to 1984. So before World of Echo called Corn, which did eventually get a release. Um, but he finished it at least three separate times to the point of it getting a test pressing. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then pull it back. And it never came out in his lifetime. It didn't come out oh until my goodness. Uh, five years ago or something. And that is a notable part about him is the different possibilities. So he was really interested in remixes. And and probably had he lived longer, he would have, like, as remixes came up, you know, they were still pretty rudimentary in the 80s into early 90s. Uh, but as they became more of their own art firm in the, in the 90s and then into the 2000s, like, I could see him being involved in that and being really interested in that. If he didn't get all caught up trying to make it all perfect. Well, there's sure, a, but I could see him being... There's even worse did, There's even worse consequences these days with the choices you have. Like, he could have listened to true. some EQ on a pulsing beat or something. Like, oh, well, that part, until he, yeah. Until he died, you know? <laughs> I mean, the one thing is, you know, he, he ended up recording in cheap studios because he couldn't afford more expensive studios. Well, why didn't he buy, like, a so, 4-track or a reel-to-reel or something? He well, he, he did eventually. I'll get into that okay, later okay. on. Um, but it's notable that World of Echo has a very distinct sound, but almost half of the tracks have, have now been released in completely different studio versions. And so had it come out hmm. at the time that it did, I think it would have been interesting because several of the songs would have been released, like this Korn album. Several of them are on Korn in completely different recordings, not even remotely the same thing except for the melodic line. And he just couldn't leave anything alone and actually two of the songs on world of echo were released as like dance singles in 1986 one of them is under his own name and the other one not and they're so so different you can't it's hard to even think of them as the same songs Mm. but that was arthur russell apparently that's him that's him so world of echo was released in 1986 it's his only full-blown album with his name on it it's interesting they chose not to use a pseudonym on this. The only other releases he ever came out with that did not use a pseudonym were his two classical works and uh, a single from 1986, uh, Let's Go Swimming, which is also the final track on Roll of Echo. I was say, that sounds familiar. Yeah. It began in live sessions, in particular, with his friend Phil Niblock at Phil Niblock's Experimental Intermedia Foundation. <laughs> sounds like a small... <laughs> performance space last episode you talked a little bit about your apartment in chicago yeah was the, like, mo- the monkey it was a big house room, but it, was <laughs> it sounds like it's kind of like i don't know for sure but it sounded like it was kind of a place like that okay where his friends yeah. come and play they put on little shows and things and do stuff like that yeah uh nib like filmed him for a couple different experimental videos which did come out in a a version of world of echo that came out in the early 2000s came out the dvd and it's on youtube so i watched both of those for this and they're interesting and they're very you know it goes along with the music which we'll get into more 
So it, it started as these experiments and him trying to come up with this different sound. It, it, it really feels like it was one of those things where he had it in his head and was trying to work it out and try to figure out how this comes out. And he did this through performances in 1984, 85, 86, until he was finally ready to record it in 86. So with that, before we get any further here, Jake, you're going to tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the album. I sure am. Yeah. I'm going to give my thoughts on your thoughts. So... We work on a negative five to five point scale, first of all. And so I think on this, I think first of all, you're going to be interested in the experimental aspects and appreciate the virtuosity of this cello playing. There's a heck of a lot of cello on this album. Oh, yeah. And the intimacy of the recording. So I think you're going to enjoy that. With that said, this is a difficult listen, especially at first. And I, I told you that a little bit, that if you had the chance to give it a couple listens, because it's, it's one of those it rewards multiple listens but it's it's hard to get into at first in my opinion and it took me a few to really to for it to really you know strike mm. lightning strike and me and love it um and so with that and there's not it's not a lot of uh i don't know i don't want to get into too much more of it without you know before you talk about your thoughts on it so with that i, I think you'll overall like it but not be nearly as in love with it as i am yeah so i'm, I'm guessing a i'm guessing a one a one okay all right, that yeah. might be that might be an okay guess. Um, I actually enjoyed my first listen to World of Echo. Hey, great. For the most part, you know, uh, it's it's moody and spacious and warm, um, but I couldn't stop myself from thinking something pretty much the entire time, um, which is that every time the uh, singer James Blake, who is a more recent moody, yeah. you know, kind yep. of musician um, vocalist for the most part, every time he sings, he should probably pay Arthur Russell royalties. <laughs> James, I only have one. I, I can see that. James see that James Blake is a much better pure and technical singer than Russell. Like, oh, he's yeah, a beautiful definitely. singer. But the timbre and tone of their voices is almost identical. I gotta like, listen to James I Blake. Get, I hadn't thought about that. I can see that. Yeah, now. yeah. That's just what I thought in my head. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and not only that, I have to say I hear a lot of World of Echoes musical aesthetic in a certain class of more recent bands, including mm -hmm. James Blake, The XX. Um, okay. church, churches with a V in the middle. I can't, I can't, yep. I don't know how to say that. And even pop stars like Lord and FKA Twigs. Um, these sorts, okay. the sorts of minimalist mood setters that became hip in the, in the late two thousands and are still going strong. And you got to wonder how much, I mean, as I learn more and more about these artists who, it just, it shows up in headlines on my music news sites, like so-and-so's covering Arthur Russell. There was one like in the last week. Was there? But I, I, I got to wonder how much, how influential he's become now. It seems like. Discovery in like the early to mid 2000s and his increasing uh I, I just think like whatever is going on on this album in particular for whatever yeah. reason like I, I become very interested in these very like micro genres of music yeah. um, like a few years ago um i started hearing some bands especially in the midwest um, that had this really warm reverby um kind of sound uh i think uh, the Pines is one of them. I don't know if they're still around. Okay. Um, but they sounded, it hit me one day, this sounds like late 80s Bob Dylan with Daniel Lanois music. And I was like, whoa, that that's something that <laughs> people want to emulate? You know, late 80s Bob Dylan? Like, that's a respected album, but it was interesting that that particular aesthetic was being, you know, if not popularized, then definitely, like, carried that's, forward. That's interesting. Is, no, so that, this, that's a good this, point. I don't know about the rest of Arthur Russell. I, I didn't I didn't know almost anything about him before you started right. talking. But this album in particular seems to be hip now, like this sound. Yeah. So I hear uh, gently pulsing beats, reverb-laden instruments, whether they're digital or natural. 
um, that are not traditional to melodic rock music. Um, and it seems like there's an aversion to the guitar in particular, even though there's guitar on here. Um, despite having pleasant melodic structures that are sung and occasionally major chord adjacent progressions throughout, it sounds like antithetical to pop rock music, especially in 1986. Um, yeah. But not in that abrasive punk way or industrial noise rock way that was emerging at the time, but like almost in a really congenial and polite way. I thought that there was like a congeniality about this. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually very nice to listen to overall, despite having some definite dissonance and noisy um, electric guitar flourishes or cello, I guess maybe. Um, <laughs> you mentioned guitar. I don't know that there's any guitar. There's, on may, there's maybe not. Maybe it's all the cello. I, I the can electric tell... guitar sounding stuff. That's cello. Okay. All right. That's good to know because it didn't sound. I'm trying to think through. There's. I, I think there was one song that had a. It's possible. There's not much, but it's possible. Yeah. No. It's hard to tell because he's got all this stuff going with the cello. It's hard to tell if there's other things under there. Yeah. So overall, I found it so horrific and charming and calming, uh, mostly due to the space allowed in the music. Um, Russell really seems to be st stripping away the flourishes of pop music and leaving only the absolute fundamentals behind. Bass, hmm. um, usually just kind of a droning or echoing harmonic middle instrument. Uh, that would be the cello, I guess. Um, other ones too, um, treated with various effects and of course his voice, which I think is somewhat lovely and definitely unique, at least until James Blake stole it and upgraded it. <laughs> so thanks. I mean, it's definitely an upgrade. He's a good, great oh, yeah. singer. Oh, yeah. Great singer. Um, there's little to no soloing and shenanigans on the album like that. Um, he trades those for the shenanigans of processing the living hell out of his instruments yep. and just letting them be the fundamental pieces of his song. So... Um, you know, it's a good thing he didn't use much more stacked, like, layering of instruments, or he really would have driven himself crazy. Like, he usually is only playing with three or four tracks, it seems to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's, like, really, like, second by second by minute processing the entire time each, each element. So that middle instrument, the cello or whatever, just gets chopped and screwed and, like, swirled, like, all over the place. It's, like, um, it's really highly processed, um, in, in a live way. Um, and he, you know, and the echo, of course, on the album. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's I mean, so much, there's the so name, much yes. echo. Uh, yeah. We got slapback. Yeah, all over the place. We got slapback echo, reverb style, you name it. It's right there in the title, Chaz. It really yep. says it all. Um, my absolute. He didn't bury the lead on this one. He, 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 he was upfront about it. It is a world of echo, indeed. Um, my absolute standout track is um, "Soon to Be Innocent Fun" slash "Let's See." Oh a, baby. A nine-minute song that meanders along but has such a killer repeated vocal melodic hook that it propels it forward. I also appreciated uh, being it um, for similar reasons, and that he actually, well, see, I said that he utilized an electric guitar, but that might that must not have been it. Because I said, no, whatever that thing was, that cello, um, it's all squashed up and phased with the super echo pedal just slathered on. He just got that baby mm -hmm. to the metal. And finally, um, all boy, all girl. Um, which is unique because it does this nice dramatic shift about two-thirds of the way through that introduces a new melody and resonance that kind of opens it up. So I thought that was good. Um, I did find listening to the entire album one shot a little tiresome. As, yeah. As tempo... It's one... Go it's ahead. an album, like a lot of albums in the pre-CD age. Yeah. It's an album that benefits from breaking in the middle. Right. Like the side break. Yeah, you get a little side break. the record over. I can see that. Like there are albums that, that just, there are a lot of albums that really require the side break. They were built for the side break. That's you know? right. That's right. Yeah, it was like a, a whole new arc. Um, 
there's uh, the songs don't shift a lot, you know, tempo wise, and after a while, there's just not enough different moods being produced to completely capture my attention span. Um, my main critique then is that it becomes a little tedious uh, over a full listen, and um, and that's and that's about it. Although, you know, I can hear a little bit of like stubborn willfulness on his part. You know, he's like, "This is what this sounds like." Yeah. And that's it, you know. I can see that. I'm it not it could probably benefit it. from being bringing a, a couple songs short. Yeah, just have a, three, either three shorter songs, or kinda, a couple. Cut it down by ten minutes. A couple like not, you know, not that he would have to like write a pop song or something, but something like a little bit of a a, a shift in tempo or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, and then I, you know, I just thought it was interesting. Um, I'll probably listen to a couple more of these tracks. I don't know if I'll fall in love with Arthur Russell like you have, but. Yeah. I mean, all that, all that stuff about the Red Hot compilation, that's like, all that stuff's catnip to me, you know? It's like, uh, you know, I could, I could probably check him out a little bit more. And I'm, yeah, interest, um, I'm interested in this well, album. I'll tell you where to go. I'll tell you which all direction right, you to tell, go. You tell me what to do. Like. Um, on a personal note, I honestly didn't know anything about Arthur Russell, um, so much so that I kept confusing him on name alone with Leon Russell. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that so many times in the last the, few weeks. The legendary genius 70s studio musician and producer. Um, I kept getting excited when you'd mentioned Arthur Russell because I thought we were going to geek out on Leon Russell, but we're not going to do that. Uh, maybe another time on Louder Than Sound, Leon Russell. In the meantime, I give World of Echo a plus 1.5 out of five. Hey, nice. Even though my kids started giving me sideways looks at about track eight, like, we're still we're still doing this? We're still on this? Is this what we're doing? I'm like, yeah. This is the difference between your music at home and my music at home. My kids don't know any better. They don't even like bat an eye when some, you know, ambient music or minimalist comes they, out. Like they, they don't know any better. They're even living with this. No, they lives. get no, they get they get they 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 give me sideways looks during the ambient phase all the time. But they also know that I'm yeah. not shutting it off. So they, you know, <laughs> I don't think they hated it. At, to be honest, they were just like, yeah, we're still. This is like 40 minutes now. Are we doing this or what? Uh, <laughs> But overall, I'm really glad you made me give it a try. Well, great. Awesome. All right. Well, as you mentioned, uh, the album is almost entirely Arthur Russell's voice and cello. And honestly, it might be only voice and cello. I'm not sure what all he's doing with the effect pedals and wow. the okay. different layers. I, I think there are honestly a couple digital instruments on there. And I yeah. felt like I heard harmonica. And it's possible his guitar at one point. He did play guitar. Okay. But he's certainly the only musician on the entire album. Sure. Nobody else. For sure. Oh yeah, that's clear. the vast majority of it is just him and cello, and there's all these effects puzzles. So, and it, it's interesting. You, know, you mentioned about using different tracks. I don't know how many tracks he used and how much of this was basically performed live, but he did notably take multiple performances of songs and splice them together. Oh, okay. And so that I, that accounts for some of this. At least one of the songs was performed. Was recorded quite a bit earlier live at this intermediate foundation whatever thing i said before this live space yeah 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 the monkey um, house experimental <laughs> intermedia foundation it was because that <laughs> nice performance name. was used for one of the videos but um in in that video it the song like it just meanders along for like 20 minutes and on the album it's you know four or five or something so he was doing that with this too interesting and the music okay. wanders and shifts in a really unique way it's almost ambient at times but kind yep. of hypnotic it definitely rewards repeat listens um, unique and experimental, but challenging. He, I really liked, you were saying how it felt like he was stripping things down to their most basic, like as little there as possible. And he described it like that. He actually hmm. talked about it and called it, uh, referred to it as beatless dance music. Okay. There's no drums on this. There's no, 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 no. There's sometimes him. There's like, rhythm though. There's, there's yeah. some rhythm there, but you can still feel the beat in there. 
and I, I don't know if he actually thought that people would ever be dancing to this. That's hard to imagine, but you know, that's all right. Um, and this was actually really interesting because just a couple weeks ago, it's three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, uh, there was a surprise release of a, a live show called Sketches for World of Echo. Oh, and he did 1984, you know. and this and this is one of those where he's and it was him at that uh, experimental intermedia whatever. Okay. <laughs> uh, again. Get it right. Get it right. Whatever. But he's him performing, so it's, you can see it, it sounds very more more embryonic. Like he was just hmm. just starting this out and really trying this out. But it's and it's only one of the songs actually ended up on the album. But it's him still doing this meandering shell, and they just fade the songs fade into each other. And you can see that on the album, there's multiple tracks where, you know, there's a slash in the middle. You mentioned soon to be innocent fun slash let's see. Right, yep, slash. They're two different songs that he just combined together in performances. Right, right. There's more than one like that, and he did that in performance. Okay, that makes sense. And that was, uh, yeah. <laughs> now I know why there's that dramatic shift yeah. in the last two-thirds. Got it. That soon to be innocent fun let's see is also one of my favorite tracks, and I think that's a really well-known. Yeah, that's a good one. That's as well yeah, known. That's good. It's just it's very hypnotic and now that tune 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 right, like you just I could listen to that for an hour. Um, I also really like the last track, "Let's Go Swimming," and this is kind of uh, Russell's signature tune because oh, it it's is. been so many different times. Oh, I didn't know. He that. has uh, six entirely different studio versions have been released on these different posthumous releases. It only came out, and it was released as a very different dance single in 1986 with uh, three in, in three different remixes. Okay, and so that's unique and interesting to you know give that a start of a listen you won't like it okay but me knowing you you won't like it but it's interesting to hear that that incredible like that he was doing this the same year and that that was the only other you know besides classical stuff the only other release released under his own name was let's go let's go swimming okay um i love this album i really got into this like i said i really got into arthur russell in general and i was just kind of fascinated by his music and the way things took it not that i like every single song but he did so many, many interesting things. And this album is clearly his crown jewel. It's clearly his greatest, in my opinion, very much his greatest achievement. Okay. So I give it 3.5. Wow, a 3.5. Yep. yep. You like it. I can tell by the score. So also notable, Jake, is aside from a couple singles in 86, 87, this was the last music he ever released. Oh, this guy. He was di- diagnosed with AIDS shortly after the album was released. And um, after that, he became increasingly reclusive and frail and ended up moving his recording into his home. So that's when he got some recording right. equipment good, from good. home yeah. with his partner, Tom Lee, until he died in 1982 and increasingly did less and less. Wow. Though notably, he was working on two different albums. He had uh, contracts. He had uh, for, uh, for two different albums he was working on, one of them for Philip Glass's Point Music and one of them for Rough Trade. And so the two of them, but he never finished them because he never finished anything. Because <laughs> that's, that's what he did. Except for, except for World of Echo, he never finished anything. His classical works were just live wow. performances, basically. Interesting. Those few handful of singles, there just isn't that much out there. And so he's a really fascinating guy and a really uh, interesting yeah. world of <laughs> Ah, sure is. Uh, so next up on this podcast, we're staying for a couple more weeks in this theme, which is albums that hit us hard in 2020 or albums that we became interested in 2020. Um, and I will be discussing a kind of recent album, but one that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is Amy Mann's Mental Illness from 2017. Um, and so you're going to hear why that hit me hard in 2020 on the next Louder Than Sound. <laughs> 